welcome all of you to the Church of Jesus Christ, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the household of faith. We're going to turn for a number of weeks to this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This week we'll read verses 1 to 5. We're going consecutively through the book of 1 Corinthians. Corinth is a church much like Bloomington, very sophisticated, very decadent, and very wealthy, very educated, and very, very proud. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. But now, give it some inflection that approximates what Paul would have said if he had been reading it to us. It's actually reported that there's immorality among you. An immorality of a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Growing up in Wheaton, Wheaton is sort of, my dad used to joke when we were kids, when we'd have bad storms, we lived out in the country in the middle of farms bordering a soybean cornfield. Whenever the storms came, we would lose power, but everybody we went to church with in Wheaton, which was 11 miles away, they'd never lose their power. And so my dad and I would took to, well, my father would take to calling Wheaton the land of Goshen. And if you know your Bibles, you know the land of Goshen was the place where the Israelites lived, the Hebrews lived in Egypt. And whenever the plagues hit, the land of Goshen, it was never touched. Well, when you live in the land of Goshen, where all the missions, Wheaton College, all the publishing companies, ESV, the NLT, these Bibles, are all published there, and, and, and the people that own those publishing companies and run them, people that run the missions, the president of Wheaton College, they all go to the church I grew up in, right? And so, in the King James Version of the book of James, it says, it refers to the superfluity of naughtiness. All right. Well, in Wheaton, there's a superfluity of the Bible. You know, every home probably has 300 pounds of Bibles. And when you add in the Bible studies, it's probably 600 pounds. And the problem in that town, and the problem in America, the problem in the Western world today is that we have a superfluity of the Bible. And so when we read it, it doesn't shock us. It doesn't scandalize us. It just is like, you know, we yawn and we try to stifle the yawn because we think it's probably not good to yawn when God's speaking. But we don't hear him because what we read in the Bible, it just goes down smoothly. But 
to worldlings, the Bible's a toxin. It's, it's the kind of thing that if you swallow it, you should be gagging and puking and dying. That's how unbelievably powerful the Word of God is. But we've become inured to it. We've become, it's just, it's nothing to us. So as I was just reading this right now, I was thinking, you know, if you had never heard this and you didn't know where I was reading from, you didn't know it was the Bible, and I were to say those things to you that I just read to you, I'll bet that there would be a number of calls for me to be disciplined by the elders this coming week, and a bunch of you would schedule appointments to come in and talk to me. And you would say to me, no pastor would ever talk about giving somebody over to Satan. Or giving somebody over to the destruction. How could you say that about people you love? And so the Bible doesn't have any cutting edge, you know. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is what God's word testifies about itself. But we stifle it on. It doesn't offend us. None of you were offended by what I just read. You should be fully offended. You should be furious. Everything in you should say to God, no. Because why? Well, because in our culture, in our time, which some people label as postmodern, we hate distinctions. We hate distinctions. We hate the fact that there is... Yes and no, that there is right and wrong, that there is truth and falsehood, lies. That there are false shepherds and true shepherds. That there are sheep and goats. We hate the fact that God will judge the wicked and that he will show mercy to those who believe in his son. We hate the fact that God has said, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the pluralistic, inclusive quilt and fabric of diversity. But what it says is, it's appointed unto man once to die, and that man, isn't that obnoxious? Women are supposed to just know, God speaking, that they're included. All right, it's appointed unto man and woman, and those halfway in between, twice to die, I saw a bright light and I came back and I'm here to tell you what happened after I died. And after that, it only takes a spark to keep a fire going and kumbaya and, and the quilt down at the Capitol Mall. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man, man, once to die, and after that, the judgment. And the judgment is where Jesus himself testified that he would separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep will go into the presence of the Father where there is eternal joy forevermore. And the goats will go to, this is Jesus speaking, the goats will go to the place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out, and it's bottomless. 
and we hate distinctions. And this life, I like to characterize it as just an anteroom, just, just the entryway, just the foyer. It's just the foyer to eternity. And it's a time of testing for you and me whether we bow the knee and confess our sin and cling to Jesus or whether we, we, we refuse him. And Jesus says that the way is broad that leads to destruction. Many there are. But the way is narrow and few find it that lead to eternal life. This is Jesus. This is Rob Bell's Jesus. Okay? Jesus spoke constantly about the coming judgment and warned against it. Jesus, when there was the collapse of a tower of Siloam, and it killed people, and the religious people were all prepared to talk about how the people that were killed by the tower must have been more wicked than the rest of us, you know, Japan. And they sort of said that to Jesus. Jesus said to them, oh no, accidents happen. And it doesn't have anything to say about the, the moral condition or the faith or the, the sin of the people that the tower hit. AIDS is not a judgment. New Orleans is not a judgment. The World Trade Center is not a judgment. Tsunamis aren't judgments. Earthquakes aren't judgments. Fire and brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't a judgment. The cross wasn't a judgment. Nothing's a judgment. Accidents happen. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is, do you think those men that were killed by that tower are worse than you? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Those are the words of Jesus. He didn't use this sort of cosmic, karmic, kind of Jungian, kind of womish, kind of Gaia, kind of crud, cotton candy, to deny the authority of his father over all creation and everything that happens. But he intensified it. And he made it clear that unless they repented, those who were still living, that they would also perish. And so imagine you live in a time that hates distinctions. All distinctions. And so it's a time that is as muddle-headed as muddle-headed can be. It's completely, completely muddle-headed. What's good is bad, and what's bad is good. What's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. What's true is a lie, and what's a lie is true. Those who have been given responsibility to protect the good and to punish the evil, use the sword to punish the good and to protect the evil. This is the day we live in. The Bible said it would, it would be true. It is true. And the minute we get to the beginning of the Bible where it says how God made the earth, right there, right there, all of us have these sophisticated ways of saying that what it says in the first few chapters of Genesis is just not true. There's really no distinction between animal and man. After all, man came from animal. And you know, 
I'm, I could eat meat, but I don't, you know? I just don't. You know, because, yeah, I can eat meat, but, you know, really this, it's kind of cruel, you know, to, to kill animals. I'm not saying anything against anybody else, because, of course, I'm not going to make a distinction between myself and anybody else, but I'm going to feel absolutely superior every time somebody in the restaurant asks me to recommend a dish. I'm going to say to them, well, you know, I'm a vegan, so I can't really tell you about the meat. I just can't figure out how vegans always want to work in restaurants. Why do they do that? You know? Could you recommend a dish? Well, (laughs) this is my real pay. This is why I really work in a restaurant. Well, I don't eat meat. You know, it's like a discussion of abortion, and that's where we Christians, we're just ready. Well, I'm against abortion. Thank you for saying that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, finally, I got my witnessing done for the week. (laughs) And so right, 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 right at the beginning of God's word, where it tells us that we did not make ourselves. He made us. All right. Right at the beginning where it says God created Adam from the earth. We say, well, actually it didn't happen like that. I mean, I know how God needed to say it to other people, but I'm smart. And so with me, (laughs) you know, smart people like me, you you know I'm smart, right? I mean, you know that, right? I mean, you, you realize that. Well, that's why I'm here and you're there. You know? And so I understand that when God was saying that he created Adam from the ground, that what he really meant was that over many, 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 many years, Adam kind of popped out of primates. Because, you know, um, scientists tell us that, and scientists are more accurate than Scripture. And so right away, God makes a distinction between Adam and the animals. God says, Adam has the image of God. He's the only part of his creation that he declares he put his image in. And right away, we're all busy. We're scurrying to sort of blur the distinction between man and animal. All right? I remember 20 years ago reading a review in the New York Times book review of a new philosophy work written by a Harvard professor. (laughs) If you want to know what that noise is, it's a Monty Python noise. And it's the way a man shows that he's very smart and very important is about to dispense wisdom from himself. (laughs) Okay, that's what it means. So what happens is this guy's doing a review, and he's a philosophy professor down at uh, University of Kentucky, I believe, somewhere in Kentucky, state school. And the book he's reviewing is a book that makes the case that there's no distinction between animals and man. It's basically Peter Singer from Princeton, but a little bit different. And the guy's saying that to have preference for man is speciesism. You've heard of sexism. You've heard of racism. This is speciesism. All right? And it's very serious work being reviewed in the New York Times book review. And you can tell the guy in Kentucky is just a little uptight about this. 
But the whole article is him looking at himself and asking himself, am, am, am I a speciest? Not the error speciest, but the, the one that looks down on other species. And he ends up saying in the article, I don't know why, but somehow I just feel that we're different. He actually said that. And I'm thinking, the reason the entire Western world has always eaten animals is that in the word of God it says, man has the image of God, animals don't. And when Jesus spoke, Jesus said what? Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. Look at how God provides for them. If God provides for them, how much more will he provide for you? You're of much more value than the bird of the air. And yet, he doesn't say the bird of the air doesn't matter to God. God keeps track of the sparrows. That's why she sang, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know... That's why. And here we have the best and the brightest, right? The best and the brightest philosophers. And I just can't, I just don't, I just, I I mean, something in me just recoils, but I just don't know why. Well, here's why. The Bible says in the beginning, he made Adam from the ground. That's why. And he put on Adam his image. Distinctions, right away, distinctions. Animals, man. Man bears the image of God. And then the next thing it says, oh, we hate it. We hate distinctions. The next thing it says is, and he made Eve from Adam's body. Oh, 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 oh. no, 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 no. Eve developed from apes just like Adam did. I mean, it's humiliating enough for God to make man when we know the scientists tell us that didn't happen, came from primates. And don't you have a feeling of independence knowing you came from primates instead of God made you? You know, it just feels so good. But Eve from Adam? From a rib? I mean, how humiliating. And so what do we do? No way, Jose, it ain't going to happen. Not in my brain, not in my heart, not in my marriage, not in my classroom, not in my presidency, not in my squad cars, not in my prisons, not in the military, ain't going to happen in my conferences, ain't going to happen in my books, and my publishing companies, ain't going to happen in my deacons' rooms, and pretty soon it ain't going to happen in the elders' rooms, and just a little bit after that, sometimes it ain't going to happen in the pulpit, and eventually it ain't going to happen in the senior pastor either. In other words, We hate distinctions. We hate the distinction between man and animal. We hate it. We Christians say, well, I I could, but I don't eat meat. And we know what we're doing. We're playing footsie with the world. We're trying to sort of have some of Jesus and some of sort of political correctness, you know? And you say, oh, no, 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 It's, it's a matter of health with me. I say, okay, I'm not talking to you. Remember, in the Bible, it says it's a doctrine of demons. Did you know that? You say, oh, no, Pastor Bailey. I say, isn't this great? Here you have a pastor who's restoring some of the offense of Scripture to you. You know, you're actually hearing it now. You're actually hearing Scripture. It lists not eating meat as one of the doctrines of demons. And you go, oh, please, Tim. 
Okay, fine, I'll leave that one behind. Forget the meat thing, forget the distinction between man and animal, I'll just leave that behind, and, and, and you can think you have your Bible, but you don't. But now let's move on to the distinction between man and woman. He made Eve from Adam's body. It's what Scripture says. Distinction between male and female, right? So we throw that out. We say, well, order of creation doesn't mean anything. Paul says, I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over man because Adam was created first and then Eve because Adam... And we say, to heck with that. To heck with that. Right? You know, the order of creation doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything that Adam was created first. And he, Holy Spirit says, Holy Spirit says it does mean something for authority. Clear, 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 clear. But we say it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. It doesn't mean anything. Doesn't, 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 doesn't. Yes, it does. Doesn't, 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 doesn't. Right? That's the church today. I'm, you think that's obnoxious, but that's the church today. Open any blog, any book. Does, does, doesn't, doesn't, does, does, doesn't, doesn't. Right? And so what happens is, we say it doesn't mean anything, and we say the reason it doesn't mean anything is that animals... We're created before Adam. So if priority of creation determined authority, the animals would be an authority over man, right? I've heard this argument, I don't know how many times. And so Eve being created after Adam, well, the animals were created before Adam, so there you go. Very sophisticated logic. But here's the deal. The problem is you already gave up the animal-man distinction, and now you're trotting it back in to get rid of the man-woman distinction. And you go, don't confuse me with the facts. You know, I never said I was logical. I just feel it. And there we have postmodernism. I feel it. (laughs) And you guys, this is me. This is you. I always want to tell you, don't ever think that you are different. When you see an ad, that ad was carefully crafted for you just the way you are, and it has your number. Madison Avenue does not waste money. Okay? Do you understand this? So you say, forget the distinction between man and woman. Forget the distinction between... No, forget the distinction between man and animal. Forget the distinction between man and woman. There is no authority connected to male sex. This is bogus. I say, okay, okay, let's forget the one between man and animal. Let's forget the one between man and woman when it comes to authority and all that stuff. How about the question of sex? That you don't go to bed with a member of your sex, but you find somebody from the opposite sex. And you go... Well, yeah, I'm an evangelical. I mean, I I don't want to be homophobic or nothing, but I mean, I still think, you know, that when it comes to weddings in church on Sunday morning and who goes to bed with whom and body parts, I, I still think that really there ought to be some... And I go, oh, okay, you want it back when it comes to sex, huh? You know, you didn't want it over here and you didn't want it over here, but all of a sudden evangelicals are all about distinctions, right? 
You can throw out the essential meaning of manhood and womanhood. Throw out the fact that Adam is a father like the father God. But then all of a sudden you're all about body parts fitting together, right? Why? You know why? Not scripture, it's yuck factor. That's all it is. It's just your essential uh, distaste with bodies going in places they shouldn't. That's all. And you say, no, 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 no. No. That's not what it is. Scripture is clear on that. It isn't clear on man and woman with authority, but it is clear when it comes to intimacy. I go, okay. What about the distinction between the people of God and the Canaanites. When you read the Old Testament, the slaughter that God commands all through Canaan, you're all on board with that, I suppose, that God makes a radical distinction between the Canaanites and the Israelites and tells the Israelites to wipe the Canaanites out. Everybody's on board with that, right? And you say, well, you know, that was, that was, that was in a different dispensation when God was not yet able to control his wrath. When God still was angry, he hadn't had a son yet. Son gets you in touch with your sort of feminine side. Thank God we have the New Testament because then God revealed himself as compassionate and gentle and inclusive and pluralistic and diverse and accepting of all people and love. Well, except for the book of Hebrews. But, you know, we don't really know who who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews says that the father that doesn't discipline his son is showing that his son is an illegitimate son. That the son who isn't disciplined is not loved by his father. There's a distinction again. Father who loves his son disciplines his son. Father who doesn't love his son doesn't discipline his son. There's those distinctions again. You say, yeah, but the rest of the Bible. And I say, well, the Apostle Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The man who sows to his sinful nature, from his sinful nature will reap destruction. The man that sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, is going to reap eternal life. And you say, (laughs) yeah, but the Apostle Paul, you know, he was single. What does he know about marriage? He was a man. What does he know about women? He was a rabbi. What does he know about grace? Keep going further back. I say, what do you mean the Gospels, right? The Gospels, right? You say, yeah, Jesus. I say, dude, (laughs) Are you a complete nincompoop? Do you know that Jesus sees Paul and raises him ten? Have you ever read the Gospels? I used to think that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were kind of intense, making a lot of distinctions from Jesus' mouth, but that John was like really sweet because he's the apostle of love. And then I actually read the Gospel of John one time, thinking whether it was like the sort of cosmic earth mother version of the Gospels, right? John, John is much more intense than the other Gospels. And he's the apostle of love. And you say to me, you know, dude, (laughs) 
dude, let's have some grace. And I say, do you know that right now I'm giving you grace? Do you know that? Do you know right now you're actually being loved? Right now I am showing you mercy. I am giving you grace and mercy and love now. I am not giving you judgment. I'm not giving you judgmentalism. I'm not arrogant. I'm not proud. I'm not indifferent. I'm not heartless. I'm not cruel. I'm not giving you the law. I am giving you grace by being faithful to Scripture and showing you that God has set up the universe in such a way. Yesterday, I was with a couple men that had both had strokes in their 50s. And one of the men who's three years into recovery was speaking to another man that's about three months into recovery. And very slowly and haltingly, that man testifying of Christ to the other man, he said to him, very slowly and haltingly, he said that when he had a stroke, that a line went through his body right from there to there. And he lost everything here, and he kept everything here. Okay? Does this make sense to you? This is the work of God. It was the work of God in him because God had work to do through a stroke for him. And so God made this unbelievable distinction in his body where everything on this side, the right side of his body, stopped working, and everything on this side kept working. Three years later, he still doesn't drive, but he hopes. But what a beautiful work God did by making this distinction between his right side and left side. Unbelievable, beautiful, spiritual work. Think of that man, and then think of all of eternity, every human being who's ever lived, every man, and that includes you women. Everybody, think of God drawing a line right down the middle. Have you ever split wood? (laughs) If it's not too big, and you don't have to use a wedge. You, you, and it helps if it's 20 degrees below zero out. And you go back, you have your feet safe, you've got it up on a, and you go back and whoop, bam, and pew, it's done. And that's how you should think of the judgment. God will rear back and it'll have a heavy head on the axe. And he'll take that axe and bam, and everybody will be separated, the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says that the way will be broad and many will be on it that will go to hell and the way will be narrow and few will be on it that will go to heaven. And that's the distinction that this life is an entryway towards. That's it. That's it. That's what this life is about. You remember Adam? He's tested. He's not to eat the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You understand that? This life is a test for you. And if you don't worship the God of distinctions, you, because you've heard this sermon and many others, will be worse off than the people who have never heard of Jesus. Because Jesus says, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And I testify to you truthfully about 
God, about his word, about men and women, about sex, about truth, about the character of the Old and New Testaments, about Jesus, about the Apostle Paul, about Hebrews, about John. I testify to you truthfully. And I will not scratch your ears the way Rob Bell does so that he can have a whole bunch of followers. I will not do it. And why? Well, because I got up this morning on the wrong side of bed. Because I'm arrogant. Because I'm fat. Because I'm old. Because I've got white hair. You know, because I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison and I'm still angry at them. Listen, it's not about me. It's about God. It's his word. It's his word. It's his word. That's it. Stop thinking about people. Stop thinking that everything is politics. It's not. And so now, think about this. You hate the distinction between animals and man. You hate the distinction between man and woman. You say, no, I don't really hate it, but I just think too much is made of it. I say, oh, come on. God makes huge amounts out of it. God wants you to celebrate diversity. And you go, wait, wait, where did that come from? What is the distinction between man and animal but diversity? Can you celebrate it? No, no, no. It's too much made of it. All right, how about man woman? Celebrate diversity. And you say, what are you talking about? I say, man, woman, bifurcation. Celebrate it. You go, well, too much is made of it. I say, okay, here's another one. The Israelites, the Canaanites. Celebrate diversity. There were actually people that God loved and had mercy on. And you say, yeah, but... I think God made too much of that distinction. I say, okay, fine. How about the distinction between the church and the world? How about the distinction between the church and the world? And you go, well, (laughs) dude, I'm all over that one. That's why I'm here. I go, really? You're all over that one. So I guess that means that you really do agree with the Apostle Paul saying, it is scandalous that you have a man in such sexual sin in your church and you have not kicked him out. The truth is, the vast majority of the churches that you and I have gone to in our lives have had absolutely no discipline. No discipline. None. None. How do I know this? I know this because I know the pastors. They're all my friends. If you ever have a pastor who wants to practice church discipline, find another job, dude. (laughs) Because the elders will absolutely refuse. And he'll be out of a job. And you say, well, no, we once had a case of church discipline in our church. I remember it clearly. That's the exception that proves the rule. Let me tell you what that man did. Number one, nine times out of ten, it'll be a man because it always sells better in Peoria to discipline a man than a woman. Number two, that man probably took a hatchet to his grandmother in front of the congregation on Sunday morning. Which is my way of saying, whatever that man did was so awful that finally the women of the church said to their husband, all right, honey, now! You know, finally we got to the level where the sin being committed was so awful that even the women thought something should be done about it. 
And you're saying, what on earth, women? I say, look, I do lots of marriage counseling, and marriage counseling, one of the consistent themes is that the husband thinks it's time to discipline, but the, the wife is busy protecting the relationships. You know? And so the husband can vote for discipline in an elders meeting, but he knows he's going to go home and face his wife. And he knows what his wife's inclination is. And so here the Apostle Paul is, expel the man. Expel him. And in the church today, we are absolutely opposed to church membership. Now you say, I thought you were saying church discipline. Now you're talking about church membership. And I say, yeah, the church has become the parachurch. The church has decided that really membership doesn't matter and it's probably not biblical anyhow. And so the church feels very smug and self-satisfied about the fact that she doesn't have any membership. And what that means is nobody has to feel responsible for any particular souls. Because any particular Sunday, you can have this sort of, I go here, I go there, depending on who's preaching. You know, recently there's a woman in our church, she's left, but, you know, she, she loves Stephen, but she can't stand me. And there are people that love me, and there's, they probably don't, would not say they can't stand you, but they really don't have Stephen in their heart. And so people jump churches. If there's any discipline of the elders, they're gone. They have, they have taken vows to submit to the discipline. And I would say out of all the people who have come to the point of formal discipline, maybe a tenth respond to formal discipline. The rest of them just break their vows. They're gone. And then you go to the other church... <laughs> that was a bit of a tell. <laughs> and you go to the other church, and um, at the other church, you know, the elders show up and say, we're really concerned about this, this person. This person slept, well, had, had, had sex up to that very precise point with an unbelieving woman is not repentant, and, and we've disciplined him, and now he's coming to your church. And they go, dude, what's your problem? And you go... We think that you should know about this. Why? We, we don't ever talk to churches about anything. Well, yeah, if we felt that somebody was going to represent some sort of a threat to another church, we'd talk to them. And we go, wait, 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 wait. This is somebody who is immoral with unbelieving women coming into your church, and you're telling us that you wouldn't touch that, but if somebody was a threat, then you deal with it. You have a Christian, confessing Christian man using a woman's body who is an unbeliever, and that's no threat to your church? No threat? Now, am I accurate about this? Would you just raise your hand and say, this is exactly what happened? This happens all the time. Why? Because there's no membership. Why is there no membership? Well, the reason is because membership makes a distinction between those who belong to God and those who don't. Do you understand that? Membership makes a distinction, and we hate distinctions. And so today, we don't bother to join anything. But help me. How do you expel a man? This is what the text says. The text, you become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who done this deed would be removed from your midst. How do you remove somebody from your midst if you don't have any midst? 
How do you push somebody out of a room where there are no walls? How do you lock somebody out of a house where there's no door? How do you keep somebody from a table where there's no permission granted to come to the table? Do you want to live in a home where your home's table is open to anybody in Bloomington that wants to come to it? Anybody in Bloomington that wants to come and eat with your children and have their life and their filth there, you just have to accept it because, after all, it's an inclusive community. And you know, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village. So you thought you were founding a family and you were the head of your home, and what you found out from Hillary was actually it was a village and everybody has a right to your table. Then who has the responsibility to cook? And why should I buy any of the food? If, if it's a village, and if I can't say yes and no, what do I have in it? And here's what happens. At that point, what you have in it is that you're a citizen of the United States and every single bit of authority is now under the government. And the government is your nursing father. And it will come in the home and tell you not to spank your children. It will tell you what to eat. It will tell you what to smoke. It will tell you what to believe. It will tell you what you can teach your children. It will tell you that your children can have an abortion when they're minors. And you're all fine with that as long as there's no locks, no doors, no walls, no no's, no justice, no truth, no law. Because Christian faith is about grace. And so we seek to be graceful. And then when it comes to the table, it's trampled. It's trampled all over our country. There are Bible-believing churches where there has not been the slightest effort to do anything other than keeping an axe murder of grandmas away from it. And the Apostle Paul is absolutely furious about this. Furious. Furious. And I'm going to just tell you, when we do evangelism, you know how we do evangelism? We do evangelism by saying God's yes without his no. We tell people that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And we never tell them that the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness. And so people might like you, and therefore they might say yes, they might pray the sinner's prayer, they might come into the church, they might sit week after week, they might have their kids in the midweek family program, they might have some sort of devotions every day, but they have no commitment to the authority of God. They have no commitment to the holiness of the Christian life. They have no commitment to banning from this table those who dishonor God and claim to be Christians. And this is the condition of the church today. And the Apostle Paul says, no. Now, why does he say no? Well, look, unless you say no, you have no love, no mercy, and no grace. Anybody who doesn't know the authority of God, the holiness of God, the law of God, but claims to know the mercy of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, is a liar or is completely deceived. Because grace makes no sense, no sense unless you're running from something. 
You remember Christian, the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, he all of a sudden realizes this terrible burden of sin. And he's carrying it around, but nobody else seems to know they're carrying a burden of sin around, you know. And he says, you know, don't you have a burden? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. He, what about you? Don't you have No, no, I, I'm, what, what's with you, dude? Did you get up on the wrong side of the bed? I'm fine. You know, his wife, his family, it goes to everybody. Nobody has a burden. And then he realizes the burden exists, and it's God's love and his grace and his mercy that he has opened his eyes to his burden. And God's not chosen to do it to the rest. And then he realizes what Jesus meant when Jesus said what? Jesus said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, your brother, your sister, and love me, you will have no part of me. And then you remember what happens in Pilgrim's Progress? Remember? <laughs> At that point, what Christian does is he takes his, his hands and he, he covers his ears. And I want you all to do it. Take your hands. Cover yours. And he turns his back on his family. And he runs and he screams as he runs. Life! Life! covers his ears. Life! And they're yelling at him from the house. Come back, Dad. Come back. No, I can't. I've got to go. Life! His wife thought she'd come with him, right? But she, she loved it. And she looked back. Bam! God turned her into a pillar of salt. And so he was mad because God's making distinctions based on just a glimpse, you know? And so he turns. Bam! He's pillar of salt, too. But But Lot didn't do that. Lot had his ears covered, and his wife was gone, eternally gone. Remember that? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And Lot kept going. And Lot was a really wicked man. (laughs) Just keep reading the story. His wickedness comes out. But he had his eye on God, on the cross, on Jesus Christ. You say, wait, wait, that's Old Testament. He had his eye on God and on the cross and on Jesus Christ, and he fled. He had his ears covered. Sometimes he took his... And Paul says, You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. And what I've tried to do this morning is restore the scandal of Scripture to your heart and your mind. Read the Bible. And read it with your ears open. Get the wax out. Get the slothfulness out of your heart. Get the pride out of your mind. Let the Bible be the voice of God instead of a book that publishers make money off of. Let it speak with authority to you. When Jesus says, I tell you, if any man looks on a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery. Take it at its word. When the Bible says, uh, (laughs) you know, if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you sin, gouge it out. It's better to go to, to heaven without a hand, without an eye, than it is to go to hell with an eye and a hand. Trust God. This is just the entryway to eternity. And if you live a life of faith, and if you fear God, 
you won't believe the blessings that will come to you. I'm sorry, but it's true. I mean, more houses and farms and wives. Well, not more wives. That's probably not good. (laughs) But the most foxy chick. That's how I used to talk. I mean, you will think your wife is so sexy. You will have wonderful intimacy. You will have wonderful, wonderful children who are obedient, and you just delight yourself in them. You will have a good conscience as you approach death. You will have friends that are really friends everywhere. Anywhere you go in the world, there will be people that just love you. And you just love them because you're all under the cross and you're not busy trying to protect your ego. You know, there won't be all these discussions about who has, you know, well, never mind. So we love God. We love God. And so we don't dishonor him by trying to make his word say things that it, that it doesn't say. Because it's just basic that you, you respect God. You listen to him. If you reject this, make sure you know what you're rejecting. You're not rejecting the law. You're not rejecting arrogance. You're not rejecting, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. You're not rejecting a cult. You're not rejecting Republicans. You're not rejecting pride. You're not rejecting male chauvinism. You're not rejecting patriarchy. You're rejecting the father from whom all fatherhood gets its name. Again, I'm just quoting scripture, Ephesians 3. You're rejecting his love, and you're rejecting his grace, and you're rejecting his mercy. And what you're choosing is uh, uh, Charlie Sheen. That's your choice. He's going to be coming on tour, probably to Indy. That's the world. One last word. This table and baptism are sacraments. You know what sacraments do? The whole purpose of sacraments is to make a division, a distinction between the people of God and the people of the world. Preaching doesn't do that. Its fruit can do that, but me preaching, there's nothing about you that's divided. But when you come to this table, you may not come unless you're a part of the church. Now, did you notice I just changed from member of the church to part of the church? Here's why I did that. I'm not talking about names on sheets of paper. I am talking about the essential heart of membership, which is you tell the elders of a church that you will submit to them. That's membership. Do you understand that? And do you know that I don't have authority over this table? You don't know this probably. Have I told you that before? I have no authority over this table. 
except to do what the elders tell me to do. Did you know that? Why do the elders have authority when I can preach without the elders' approval? The reason is the sacraments are where men who know you personally and examine you say yes or no to you eating. And so I don't do that. They do that. And so their job is for this meal always to send a dividing line between the people who are present. That's their job. And that's the reason every week I say, look, if you're a member of another church, we're happy to have you. But if you refuse to put yourself under the authority of elders, you may not come to this table. And more people have left our church over that statement than any other statement I make because we hate distinctions. And I say, you don't come to the table because you love Jesus. You come to the table because Jesus ordained officers that he commanded you to submit to, and if you refuse to submit to officers, you may not eat at this table. And it's so clear, it's incomprehensible to you that your father would let just any Tom, Dick, and Harry come in your church, your, your house, and eat at your table, right? Somebody, you know, comes to the front door, let me in! He's like, no. Oh, blow your house, let me in. And yet, here at the table, we're supposed to just be willy-nilly with the meal that pictures and presents to us the body and blood of Jesus. Uh Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. So that's the reason, the explanation behind my fencing this table every time, okay? The elders could come, please. And listen, every single time somebody preaches in this church, if we were Jewish... Or if we lived a couple hundred years ago, we would care about truth and we would get into arguments. And any time you want to say that what I've said is not biblical or not true, I welcome you to do it. I welcome you to do it with me, with any of the elders here. Um, If you have questions, welcome questions. No problem, because the minute you argue and you have questions, it shows that your heart is alive. Do you understand that? This is not a church where you have to go along to get along. (laughs) Trust me, how many minutes did we spend arguing at our last elders meeting? What would you say? Hour and 20 minutes, says Adam. And we trust each other and love each other. So, But heck, if you have questions or arguments, let us hear them. Let me just read to you, since this has been a communion service, of, let me read from 1 Corinthians 11, which is a few chapters later from the text we studied this morning, which means we'll arrive at it in 2035. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also our Savior took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink of it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Father God, 
it is impossible for us to accept your word. It is so scandalous in our day. And so we ask you, Father, to send your spirit to us that it may be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword separating between joint and marrow. And that the word that you have sent out will not return to you void, but will produce the fruit that you have sent it for. May there be men and women and children today who bow the knee to Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and confess their sins and come to his mercy. We thank you for this meal. Take these elements, we ask you, and set them apart from a common to a sacred use, and through them may we be given grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.